All right, we are continuing in the attributes of God. Um, we're going to talk tonight about God being truth or truthfulness of God. And just like all other attributes, this attribute is immutable. It is unchanging. And, and um, I really want to unpack this tonight if we can. Um, before we get into this, let's, let's pray, though. What do you say? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here. God, thank you for the holy living words from you in front of our eyes today. We pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, more deeply to the truths that are in here. Because it is truth. Every word, everything that you say and everything from you is truth. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to that tonight. And you would change us. Lord, we pray that this every time that we come and we, we worship and we open your word, we ask that it would change how we worship you and how we live for you. And we ask that you would give us understanding tonight of your truthfulness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we want to start in John chapter 18. We go to a lot of references in John, don't we? I mean, it's just... It's, it's got a lot in it, and, and we'll eventually get here in our Sunday uh, sermon series of John, but tonight we are going to pick up a little piece of this story uh, where Jesus stands before Pilate. We find this in verse 28. John chapter 18, verse 28. We'll read this narrative, and then we'll start to talk about the truth. That is in God, because God is truth. It says this in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Petroleum, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter the Praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by which kind of death he, would, he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again to the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or do others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Verse 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. And here's the million dollar question. Pilate asks, Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. This is an interesting point. Just to, we don't want to pass over this. You remember in the Passover account that, that someone had to declare that the lamb was innocent that the lamb had no spot, that the lamb would be perfect to be sacrificed in the Old Testament. And this is the moment as Jesus has come into Jerusalem in the Passion Week or the, Passover, the few days before his uh, death, as he comes into Jerusalem and, and they're celebrating him and crying Hosanna. This would be reminiscent of the, the first day where the lamb and the Passover uh, would be inspected. They would gather the lamb and for so many days they would inspect the lamb to make sure that it was worthy and spotless without blemish, to be sacrificed. And, and this is similar to when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, examined all those days in this week, 
and then standing before Pilate, Pilate gives the declaration that the Passover lamb is innocent. That Jesus is the true Passover lamb with no guilt because he says, I find no guilt in him. He is worthy. He may not know that that's what he was saying, but that's what he was saying. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. What an amazing sequence of events. What an amazing interaction here. But in verse 38, Pilate asks a question. What is truth? And this isn't just a question that has plagued Pilate, but it's been a question that's uh, troubled man in antiquity and even in the present time philosophers from uh, antiquity, even till now, we want to know what is truth. People are searching for the truth. They think that if they find the truth, the truth will make them happy. And that is true. If you find the truth, it will make you happy. It will set you free. But there is only one truth. And what's even more amazing about this account is that you take all that you we've talked about, about the word and, and becoming flesh and and he was in the beginning, and, and all that we've covered in these verses in John, and now here is the, the incarnation. It is God in flesh. It is the Logos in flesh before Pilate. And Pilate is face to face with the creator of the universe. And he says, what is truth? He's standing face to face with truth. The source of truth. The source of all truth. And he's face to face with it. And he says, what is truth? And that's the question we're going to tackle tonight. What is truth or who is truth? And this is an attribute of God, that he is truth. Truth is a reality, is reality. That's what truth is. Truth is reality, and fact is given by God. God is truth. He's the source of truth. God is true, so everything he says or does is true. And truth cannot be found outside of the source of truth. You can't find truth in yourselves. You can't find truth in any other thing, any other person, any other thing, period. That truth is not found outside of Christ. Truth is from God and God alone, as he is truth. And he's the source of truth, and this cannot come from any man. This is a verse that seems to be harsh at times, but Romans 3, verse 4 says, May it never be, rather let God be true, be found true, though every man be found a liar. That the source of truth is God, because God is truth. That's his nature, that's who he is, that's what he is. He is truth. The first thing we want to talk about here is that we look at the Godhead. You can't speak about God without understanding and, and recognizing the Trinity that is in picture here. That God, in his, in his divine, eternal nature, is triune. So if God is triune, then truth is triune. In every person of the Godhead, we have verses to back up that they are true. And that would only make sense, wouldn't it? If God, the being of God, is true, then we look at the divine persons that make up the Godhead, the Father, the Logos, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are truth. And we look through here, and there's going to be verses on the Father being truth, Jesus being truth, and the Holy Spirit being truth. The Father of truth sends the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, to testify about Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And just to follow up on Sunday, when you see Jesus, the eternal word, who is the way, the truth, and the life, then you see the Father as he is truth because he is explaining or executing the Father. It's a triune God, and he's triune in truth, and he's triune in all these attributes. So we follow along. There's a few verses here on the Father being truth. In Isaiah 65, verse 16, it says this, Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my sight. 
He's a God of truth. Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord passed by in front of him, and this is talking about Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Those are his attributes. It's his nature. In Psalm 31, verse 5, it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You may have heard that before. This is a messianic psalm. This is, this is a psalm that is going to look ahead to Jesus on the cross. When Jesus says, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. We have a prophetic word in the book of Psalm, chapter 31, verse 5, that speaks of this. It says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. We're not getting very fancy tonight. God is truth. But it's vital, and I think there's areas in our life that even though we say that we have this, we don't. And we'll, we'll speak on that a little later. So we know the Father is truth, but what about Jesus? Well, we know the Father is truth because Jesus is truth, and he's exegeting the Father. John 1, verse 14. You may have heard this before. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were re realized through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. It's in the Father. It's in the Son. This is his eternal divine attribute. He is truth. And then we just read there in John chapter 18, verse 37. He said to Pilate, so you are a king. Pilate asked Jesus this. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. We know that he came into the world to do all the things that he talked about, uh, we talked about on Sunday, to live a sinless life, to, to die, to be our propitiation, but he also come to explain the Father. And he says he came in this world to testify to truth. Who's he testifying of? The Father. The Father's truth. And the Son is the exact representation of his nature. God, the Father, is truth, and the Son is truth. We'll quote this coming up here in a little bit, but we know that in John chapter 14, verse 6, what does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see how even the smallest thing of truth, that God is true, we must break this down and we must begin to look at it in the triune nature of God, that every divine person in the Trinity is truth. Because the eternal being of God is truth. Now let's look at the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. The Holy Spirit seals every believer with the promise of that eternal redemption. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and directs us because he is God. Let's listen to what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit in truth. In John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Can I stop there just for a second? Let me just say this real quick. i got a couple things I want to say. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. Uh, I, I'm going to ask on your behalf. I'm going to go before the Father, and all those that you have given me, all those that you've loved with the same love that you've loved me before the foundation of the world, the same ones that I want to be them to be with us wherever we are. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to intercede on your behalf, and I'm going to ask that he sends the Holy Spirit. He says to give you another helper. This is interesting. This is an important little thing that I think we have to, um, we have to speak about because it's important. When we say the helper, God gives us a helper, what's the first thing that goes to your mind? 
the Holy Spirit. But look at the text very carefully. He says, I will, get, he, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who's the original in the context here. This is talking about the Son. There's an ancient word in the Greek language called a paraclete. And we did this a long time ago. I don't know if anybody remembers this or not. But the word paraclete is what is at stake here. And the word paraclete, it comes from, in antiquity, what it would be in our modern time would be a defense attorney. So when someone in antiquity was in trouble with the law, when they were in legal trouble, they would go seek a paraclete. And a paraclete would be one who would go and defend them and plead their case, if you will, even though they may be guilty of crimes. They would go seek a paraclete to say, I'm in trouble, I'm in legal trouble, will you please help me? This is the definition of a paraclete in antiquity. And this is where we start to look at this picture. That he says, I will give you another paraclete. Who's the, who's the primary paraclete he's talking about here? Jesus. Think about this. You and I need a defense attorney, if you will, don't we? We're in some legal trouble because by the law, we are all condemned. And all of us stand silent. And all of us, when in the judgment, in the eyes of God, on our own account, in our own uh, breaking of the laws, in the sinning against God, we are in trouble. And just like the people in antiquity would go running to the paraclete and say, I'm in this trouble. Please come and help me. Please defend for me. Please represent me in this matter. This is what Christ does for us. We talked about that he came in the flesh, didn't we? And why did it, what was one of the reasons he came in the flesh? So that he could be our mediator. And now what this word is meaning is that I will send you another helper because I'm getting ready to leave planet Earth and I'm getting ready to go sit on the right hand of the Father. And you know what I'm going to do when I'm there? I'm going to be your paraclete. I'm going to plead your case before the Father. I'm going to be your legal representation. I'm going to be the one who gets you off the hook when you can't do it. You're in legal, you're in legal jeopardy. You are in a mess legally before God because we're all condemned. But because he came in the flesh lived a perfect life, died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And he says, I'm getting ready to go. And I'm going to be your paraclete in heaven. I'm going to plead your case. And as long as I'm pleading your case, then you are innocent in the eyes of the Father. What a beautiful story. It's important to know that. That's what the paraclete is in its primary context. And he says, but I will give you another one, helper. So not only do we have Jesus, the paraclete, in heaven interceding for us on our behalf, he says, I'm going to ask the Father. The Father's going to send you the third person of the, Holy, of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to help you in your life, give you strength, give you comfort, lead you into truth because he's the spirit of truth, because he is God. He's from the Father who is truth as well. It's triune in nature, but there's so many different layers and components to truth in the context of the Trinity and our helper. I love that. Uh, remember that, that he will give you another helper because Christ is legally your representation. That's why justification is so beautiful, because when he justifies you by faith, he legally declares you innocent. It's a forensic justification. It's a legal declaration of your innocence. And that's why Romans 8 says that he what? He justifies the elect. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Why? Because God, the paraclete, is justifying and interceding for us. But he does send another helper. He does send another paraclete. It's the Holy Spirit. Instead, I'll have to say this. The Holy Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into falsehoods or untruths. The Holy Spirit is truth. Listen to what it says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. I know we need to keep going, but can I say one more thing? How long will the Holy Spirit be with you? Go ahead and ask. Go ahead and see if, if it says that you, it'll be there for a little while. And then you may lose it. Oh, it doesn't say that. 
It says, when I give the Holy Spirit, when I ask the Father, the Father sends the Holy Spirit, He will be your helper, that He may be with you forever. It is the eternal seal of the Holy Spirit that takes place in our salvation. Don't overlook these little things. They're coming up. John 14, that's not too far off. We'll get there. That it that he may be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. John chapter 15, verse 26, still speaking about the Holy Spirit in, and truth. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Do you see the Trinity in that verse? Look at the workings of the Trinity in that. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 says this, This is the one who came by water and, by, and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. It's a lot of verses to say that God is truth. The Father is truth. The Son is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. He's the only source of truth. To try to find truth outside of God is futile. It doesn't happen. It is from God as God is truth, and he's immutably true. But let's turn the page just for a second, not on your sheets actually, but just different thought. The opposite of God and the truth is the devil. And look what John chapter 8 says about him in verse 44 through 45. It says, you are of your father, the devil. And you do, and you want to do the desires of your father. Because your will is in bondage to sin. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. We have a clear distinction, don't we? Between truth and lies. That anything that is not of God is not of truth. As it all truth comes from God. The devil is a liar, the father of lies. There is no truth in him. This is the enemy. This is the adversary. This is the slanderer, the devil. It's important to note, and we'll get into this a little bit later when we start to look into our own lives. But the opposite of the one who has no truth in him and is the father of lies, we look to the one who is all truth, who cannot lie. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for, those of, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with, with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. The next verse we want to look at of God being truth is found in Hebrews chapter 6. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 6, especially getting down into these verses 18 and around that area, our mind has to go back to Genesis 15. You all remember the story of when God had promised Abram these promises. And Abram said, okay, I believe. And he had faith. And, and the Bible says that it was by faith that Abram was considered righteous or credited righteousness. And then he goes on a little bit into that story. And if you remember that, how the story unfolds, Abram says, okay, God, but how do I know? How can I know for sure that your promise is true? And you remember that? That's when God gave him a list of animals to bring to him. And then he they cut the animals in half and he put a half on one side and half on the other. And there was a, 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 a gully, if you will, an alley between the carcasses of the animals. 
And then God comes in this manifestation of his glory in a theophany. And there's fire and a blazing pot. And it is God manifesting himself. And he comes through those carcasses. And he says, that's how I promise you. That's how I promise you that this promise is for sure. And you can take it to the bank. You can count your whole life upon it. And what was at stake there was in antiquity. Uh, we've mentioned it before. Let me do it quickly. In antiquity, to make a covenant or make a, a vow like this, two parties would come together. They would cut. Uh, they would. They would make a, a covenant or a blood covenant. That's what the Hebrew word is to make a covenant. There's a cutting. So the animals were cut. There was blood. They separated the animals, and then the two parties would say, "If we don't hold up to our end of this deal, let it be to us as it is to these animals. Basically, let us die too." And then the both parties involved would walk in between those dead carcasses, and basically that would be their promise that they were going to keep the vow that they made. But what's interesting in this, when Abram says, God, show me that your promise is true, even though I don't see it now, God manifests himself in this fire in this blazing pot. It's this theophany of God, and he himself and him alone passes between those animals. And basically what he's saying is this, I can't swear on anything higher than myself. So I'm going to swear by myself. And if I don't keep this promise, let it be to me like it is to these animals. Or in shorter terms, if I don't keep my promise, then let me die and let me cease to be God. That's an eternal promise because God in his divine nature does not die. That's where we get Hebrews 6 at. He's talking about that promise that is being made. And in verse 18, it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. He goes on to say that's a, that hope is an anchor, a steadfast anchor for our soul. And then in Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and, he, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will, and will he not make it good? That God is truth, and he cannot lie. But then we set our focus on God's word. Because this word that we look at is God-breathed. So where's the source of the, uh, uh, and the inspiration of the word that we hold? It's from God, and God is truth. And the Bible tells us, if you remember in 2 Peter, that, that the Holy Spirit carried men along as they were guided by the Holy Spirit to pin the pages of this word. And it was the Holy Spirit who was working in the hearts of men to, to write the true and inspired words of God. Let me ask you a serious, simple question. Do you believe God's word is true? This is not a trick question. Do you believe it's true all the time? Have you ever read something in it and doubted it? Why? I've asked myself that this week. I'll turn to you and ask you as well. Why? You just told me he's true. You just told me it's impossible for him to lie. One of the first sermons I ever did a long time ago when I used to title them. Some of you all may remember this, and if you do, I'm sorry. It was, read it like it's true. So many times we pick up this Bible and we read the words, but we don't act like we believe it's really true. Case in point, have you ever, if you're a child of God, have you ever stumbled and fallen, maybe you face-planted due to sin? And have you ever come to God and, and you open the Bible and you turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you read that, and then you pray for forgiveness, you, you repent and you confess your sin, and then you walk away and you think, well, maybe, maybe I need to do that again. Maybe he didn't really forgive me. But wait a minute. God is truth. His word is true. See, there's a difference of reading it and reading it like it's true. Because if we really honestly believe that every word of God was true, we all fail in this miserably, trust me, then we would read that verse, 
confess that sin and realize it's not us that has to be faithful here, it's God. It is God who's faithful because he paid the price on the cross. The debt has been paid. He's faithful to that work. He's faithful to that promise. He told you he would forgive you, and now we can have faith and confidence in that. That's just one example. Has he told you that all things are working out together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose? Isn't that easy to quote when things are going good? What about when it's not going good in our eyes? Does that change that God is still true? And his word is truth? You see the arrogance of man that we come to a situation, we read the inspired God-breathed words, and we say, nah, not in this case. Not with me. That must be a misprint. You see, his word is true because it's from him. It's inspired by him. Every word is true. Let me give you one more example, and then we'll move on. Have you ever read in the Bible that he could, he's coming back one day? Now, we can get into eschatological views, but I believe he's coming back one day, and I honestly believe it could be tomorrow or it could be 10,000 years from now. But if I honestly believe that there was a chance he could come back tomorrow, then what in the world am I doing? Do I really believe that he could come back tomorrow? We say we do, but do our lives show that we believe that? Is there urgency in our lives? Is there urgency in our prayers? Is there urgency in our witness? Is there urgency in our life? God said he's coming back. Be ready. I come as a thief, and you don't know when. Be ready. You see, we can read it, or we can read it and believe it like it's true. God's word doesn't change. Do you know what does change? Feelings change. Amen to that. We all, that. We all can guarantee that. But God's word don't change, it's truth. Truth is not dictated by feelings. Truth is not dictated by circumstance. Truth is immutable because the source of truth is God and God is immutable. Truth does not change from generation to generation. It doesn't change between the, the free and the slave. It doesn't change between the rich and the poor, male and female. Truth is truth because truth is of God. God's word is true it's all truth listen to what it says in john 17 17 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth psalm 119 verse 160 settle pause some of you may know some of you may not that's okay we move on psalm 119 160 says the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. And 1 Timothy 2, 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of what? The word of truth. This word is true because of the source from which it comes. It is from God. That's why we spent so much time at the start talking about the Father's truth. The Son is truth. The Spirit is truth. It is from the Godhead. It is truth that resounds from God because that is his attribute. That's his eternal nature. He is truth. I hope this challenges you like it's challenged me that when we read the Bible, we read it like it's true. Like it's coming from the source of all truth. And hopefully then our doubts and our questioning will become less and less because that's part of sanctification. And we know that the more that we understand the word and we're in the word, that word is what sanctifies us. So not only is God's word truth, the gospel is truth. And we see that the, there's an attack on the gospel. Well, we got to change it here. That's offensive. Don't like that. Let's be more inclusive. No, 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 no. You can't change the truth. The truth is immutable. The truth is unchanging. And God's gospel is truth. If you remember when we have talked about this in the past, it's not my gospel. I, I, I don't preach my gospel. I, no one does. They're not supposed to. This isn't my gospel. It's God's gospel. It belongs to him. And it's truth. 
And the Bible is so clear that if you begin to distort the truth and you begin to distort the gospel, you remember what it says in Galatians chapter 1, anyone who preaches another gospel, let them be anathema. That translates into let them be damned. You mess with the gospel, which is truth, let you be damned. That's serious. The gospel doesn't need any help. The gospel doesn't need modifications. The gospel doesn't need to be modified and crafted so we can present it now in this century where we had to change it and present it differently in the 18th century. No, that's not the case. We may be more scared to present the gospel now because of the society we live in. Maybe we're timid about it, but the truth is truth. Listen to what he says here. Well, let me, let me read this in John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's the only thing that can make you free? The truth. And where does that truth come from? God, who's the source of truth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Colossians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for the, all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you had previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all, in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we just read it here, that it is, we are to be diligent to... Study to be a workman of God, which handles the word of God, which is truth, the gospel included in that. You see, salvation doesn't change. It, we don't preach one gospel here and then go to another country and preach a different gospel because the truth is truth. The truth that sets men free in the gospel in America is the same truth that sets them free in other countries. It doesn't change from Jew and Gentile. It doesn't change from continent to continent or generation to generation. Truth is God. And it is that only truth that can set them free. How many of us have family members that you, you know need to hear the gospel? And you're like, oh, I just want them to be free. And so many times we tiptoe around the only thing that can set them free. Because it is only truth that can set them free. We give them a, if we distort the gospel, one, that's not good. God is very serious about his gospel. But when we start to maybe sugarcoat it or, or just placate to make it more acceptable to people, what we're doing is not you know, delivering the full truth, and only the full truth can set people free. If you love them, tell them the truth. And that truth is unchanging. You know, it's amazing. You, we look back, and over the last two, two and a half, three years, begin to study church history more than I ever have. It's amazing. I recommend it. It's important to know where we come from and, and all the things that the church and Christianity has dealt with and, and some of these um, men that have, God has used in mighty ways. And, and what's amazing today that when we talk about Luther and, and we can talk about Athanasius in the 4th century, 5th century, when we talk about all these people that they've, all through these centuries, they present the same gospel that we do tonight because the truth is unchanging. It's immutable. I find that amazing that the same gospel that was being presented in the 600s is the same truth that we present tonight because it's immutable and unchanging as it's from God who's the source of truth. The truth is everlasting, unchanging, and immutable as God is truth and he is immutable. Listen to this in Psalm 117, verses 1 through 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. It's everlasting. It doesn't change. It doesn't stop. Praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through 25 says, For all fl flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls out, but the, excuse me, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. God is truth. His nature is truth. His being is truth. He is true. 
His word is true. His gospel is true. It's immutable. It's unchanging. And what's our response to that? If you're a Christian, you have a response to this. The Bible tells us that we are to defend this, we are to uphold this, and we're to stand for the truth at all costs. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Speaking of the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth? That's the church. You'll notice that text doesn't say we change the truth. We doctor up the truth to fit the congregation or the desires of the, of the generation or the society. It doesn't say that. But it says that we are to uphold it, to be a pillar of the truth. I think it was Robert Godfrey at the Ligonier Conference who preached a message similar to this. It was the, the, the buttress of the truth. To hold up the truth. To defend the truth. That's what the church is called to do. Not only is the church as a group, but each individual is in that church, in the church body, the invisible church. We are to hold up the truth, to be the pillars of the truth. A few things we have to ask ourselves. Do we know the truth? That's where you can't uphold the truth. You can't support the truth if you don't know the truth. Then it comes down to you. Are you ashamed of the truth? Whatever stops us from witnessing the gospel? Have you thought about that? Isn't it a weird concept that we say we love people? We have the truth and we withhold the truth. Why? Everybody's got their own reasons. A lot of it, sometimes people are scared. Maybe they're ashamed. Maybe they'll be outcast. Maybe they'll be labeled. Whatever the reason is. But you can't support the truth. You can't be a pillar of the truth if you don't know the truth and you're ashamed of the truth. Defend it with all our lives. Because it is true. It is from God. It sets us free. It's the, it's the hope that we hold on to. We can't compromise the truth. Because, again, the truth is immutable. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5 says this, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who has sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Now, let me set the context for the verse you just read. The gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel is the circumcised, uh, circumcision is not required. It is by grace and mercy, not this this outward sign that the Jews had held to for so long. It is not this outward religious thing that saves you. It is by grace through faith. They were defending that. They were preaching that. Paul's out there preaching this. And if you remember, they had a, they had a council meeting. They, they gathered there together. And just for a moment, Peter, when he was around the wrong group of people, began to soften on that stance a little bit and he started to 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 kind of appease the jews and begin to maybe think that yeah, circumcision we should begin to do again and it, in galatians chapter 2 that we see paul confronting peter that's an amazing concept isn't it amazing thought that these two pillars of the faith the apostle of the jews and the apostle of the gentiles the two uh, most well-known apostles possibly in the new testament that they have a confrontation and paul says Peter, no. It's not about circumcision. You know that. It is by grace alone, through faith alone. And these people were starting to try to introduce some of these Judaizers were bringing in the thought of circumcision must be still performed. It must be included in salvation. And Paul confronts it, and that's why you hear this verse. It says, because it was of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, the truth that sets you free. It is for grace and freedom that Christ has set you free. And it says they did this to bring us into bondage, to get us into the man-made things again, to the old covenant ways. 
Look at what Paul says in verse 5. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. We didn't even cave. Even if you think it's an hour of compromise is worth it. We didn't compromise for one second because, he says, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. They were fighting for the gospel. They were fighting for the truth. Paul confronts Peter. He says, no, sir. I love you, Peter, but no. You know better than this. It is grace. And if you want to start trying to add circumcision, you have marred the gospel. And the gospel is the gospel of truth. What a bold stance for the gospel that Paul takes. Then we look at ourselves and say, do we do the same? Is our gospel account the same when we're around Christians as it is when we're at work or around our friends who are not? Do we compromise for a minute? Do we compromise for a day? An hour? Do we compromise at all so that we can be well-liked? Do we compromise some so that we may still keep our friends? Do we compromise the gospel of the truth? God forbid. We are to defend the truth. We're to stand for the truth. As a church, we're to be the pillar in support of the truth at all costs. He's placed that responsibility on the church. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, it says this, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded, girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's a battle. It's a war. And we as the church are to defend it, support it, not change it, but to give our lives for the truth because the truth is from God. Think about what we do and what we say when we compromise the gospel. We look and we say, God, you are truth. You are immutable. All truth is from you. You do not lie. This is your inspired word, but I think I'll change it just a little bit because I think I know the way it should be presented. You see, there's a lot to God is true that we even start to just see in our lives. We start to stumble. We start to falter on. I believe Paul said it in Romans chapter 1 so beautifully. In Romans chapter 1, he gives the three I am statements of his evangelism. He says, I am eager. I am obligated. And I am not ashamed. That's what he says. And what's he talking about? What is Paul talking about? In verse 14, he says, I'm obligated. In verse 15, he says, I'm eager. In verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed. In Romans chapter 1. And what does he say I'm not ashamed of? The gospel. The gospel. For it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Not by circumcision, not by these, these other ordinances, but by the gospel that brings grace and freedom. Do you understand that God has given us a privilege? That word that you hold in, we all carried in Bibles today. That's God's word of truth. It's not your word of truth. You have to change it but you're to study it with all your heart and soul, to know it and defend it. Truth is often represented as light. It's the light of the truth, and there's no greater light than the source of all truth, which is God, and in eternity we will dwell with Him in the illumination of that light, of the glory of God, who is the God of truth. And that's why in John 14 it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, this starts back before the world was. Just as God is omnipresent, He's omniscient, He's omnipotent, He has full aseity, He's sovereign, He's immutable, He's eternal. And the list goes on of all of His attributes. 
but resigning in the, in the glory of God and of His attribute is that attribute of truth. God is truth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are truth. So, when we begin to apply this to our lives, it takes so many shapes, but when we can start at His Word, and we pick this up, and, and it is the spirit of truth that inspired men to write these words as from God. They're God-breathed. Theonistos, God-breathed. And if it's from God, it's truth because he's a source of truth. This word that you hold is true. The world will tell you it's not. Your coworkers will tell you it's not. Your family will tell you it's not. The world will tell you it's not. It's, ant- it's antedated. It's old. It's, it's, it's a thing of the past. It doesn't apply to us today, except for what is truth. It's immutable, and it's unchanging. Let us hold to the truth. And when we read the truth that's in the Word, what is it doing? It's pointing us to who? Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit says. I will point, the Holy Spirit will point us to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And who did Jesus come to execute? The Father. So when you read these words on the page, they're not just mere words. They're God-breathed from the Spirit, which is truth, pointing you to the Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, to show you the heart of the Father and the nature of the Father, which is truth. See, in this moment, that sounds good. Like, I'm with you. Amen. I agree. But what about the next time you pick up the Word? And what you feel and what you see in front of you doesn't quite line up with what the Spirit of Truth says in His Word. You've got a very important choice to make then. It comes down to two choices. When we, every time we doubt God's Word, don't believe a promise, don't hold to this, we basically, in a sense, say, God, looks like you're lying here. I would never say that. What are we implying? Here's what it says. God is true, and we do the opposite. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. When you fix your eyes on this page, you are looking at the eternal God with no beginning and no end. You feel the weight of that? I hope we do. But it is the truth of God that is His nature. I'm going to read this, and then we will close. The truth of God is offensive to the unregenerate person. Know that. Know that. (laughs) Unless God has changed their soul, and you are dropping that seed of, uh, uh, of the perish word of God into that heart that's been made good. Uh, most of the time, the un- all the time, the unregenerate soul is going to hate this message and hate this gospel. It's offensive. Don't let that discourage you. The truth of God is offensive to the unregenerate person. And listen to this. Truth is not fluid and it's not open to debate. It's not. Truth is final, immutable, and unchanging. Truth is not dependent on our feelings. Truth is truth. I remember what Alistair Begg says. Do you remember that little clip he does? Some of you all have heard this before, where you come into church and everything has went wrong before church starts. And what does the person get up and say to you? How do you all feel today? How many times have you felt like not being there? None of you guys, right? Well, I feel horrible. I just had a horrible week. Life is crashing all around me. I'm having a hard time believing you. I'm having a hard time believing your promises. I'm having a hard time believing you're good. I'm having a hard time believing you're faithful. I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel any of those things. But what does he say? And I'm not going to do his accent. But you know what he says? Don't ask me what, how I feel. Ask me what I know. And when you start going to what you know, 
And when you set your eyes a gaze to the Word of God, which is true, not dependent on your feelings, not dependent on your circumstance, God's Word is immutably true. And you can know this. And you start to read the verses of His goodness and His faithfulness and His promises and who He is and His divine nature. Let truth always triumph in our hearts and our souls and our minds over feelings. Because truth is immutable. But our emotions and our feelings and our circumstances are mutable. Tell me what I know. And I know that God is true. I know His Word is true because it reflects Him. It speaks to the Son and the Son speaks to the Father. We do not change the truth to accommodate our traditions, our feelings, or our wants. So many people do this. That don't feel good to me, so I'll distort the truth and try to pretty it all up and fit it into my mind. Truth is not negotiable. It's not fluid. Truth is concrete and immutable. We are to not mess and try to change the truth. We are not to take traditions and hold on to them above truth. We are not to take our wants and our desires and put them above truth. It is not negotiable. We are to not change it. We are not to do anything but submit ourselves to the truth as declared by God Himself, who is truth. You see how God being true affects everything in our lives? His gospel who He is in nature. When we read His Word, He is triune in nature and He's triune in truth. We started out at the start of this with one question, didn't we? Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? He's standing before truth. He's standing before the eternal Logos. He's standing before truth incarnate there. So many people ask this question, what is truth? So we will ask it, what is truth? Or better yet, who is truth? And we can answer that in one word. God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you being true. God, that seems so simple to say that you are truth and you are the source of truth. But God, when we start to quickly examine our lives, we begin to see how arrogantly we have denied that in our actions and our thoughts so often. God, we doubt your word. We doubt your goodness. We doubt the things that you've said in the word because of our own selves because of our own desires, our own feelings, our own traditions, whatever it may be, God. So many times we've elevated us and our understanding above you and your truth. We've doubted God, and for that, have mercy on us. Father, what a joy for Christians to know that you are true, that the word you have given is true, and that we can run to it and cling to it every second of our lives, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, God, you are true and your word is true. And Father, we thank you that the gospel that saved us is true. It is the gospel of truth, God, and I pray that you would strengthen us as we go out into this world and we begin to witness. Lord, let us be like Paul who says that we are eager, we're obligated, and we're not ashamed of the truth. God, let us never try to change the truth, to, to water down the truth, to... Compromise the truth, God, but let us stand as a church and individuals as pillars in the support of the truth. God, we know this world is looking for truth. They're looking, trying to, to find truth, but it can only be found in one place. In you, the immutable, eternal God. So God, we thank you that we know what truth is. And we know who truth is. And for that, 
We give you all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.